Hello, everybody. Welcome back to This Is Not About Your Body. I'm Jesse Neeland, and I'm happy to have you here listening. Um, I did take the last couple of weeks off. Uh, if you listen regularly, you might have noticed the last two weeks I didn't put out an episode. And that is because I was both finishing my manuscript uh, for my book on body neutrality, and <laughs> the next week I was like so sure I was going to come back and do a podcast that week, and I was just wiped out. So that's why. And I thought about making this like season two, but it would be arbitrary. This isn't season two. It's all just a continuation. So welcome back. I am glad to have you here. And today is going to be a little bit of a, a deep dive, kind of dark and heavy material that I wanted to talk about. So I'm just going to give you right up front a, a content warning, a trigger warning. I'm going to be talking about um, abuse and uh, I guess gaslighting, uh, like in partnership, the gaslighting and the the uh, the effect that that has on our perception of uh, somebody else's size, and then also our own body size, what that has to do with body image. So, I'm going to be getting really personal. So, if this is not the kind of story that you are in the headspace to handle safely, please just turn this off. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, I am only making this podcast because I got triggered as hell. Uh, for a variety of reasons in my own life, and it brought me to thinking about this a lot, and then I was like, oh, this is a really interesting topic to explore in a podcast. So <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I'm going to try really hard not to dump my trigger all over you guys, but just please take care of yourselves. If you cannot hear stories about um, abuse right now, then I encourage you to turn this off. Um, and of course, the the theme of this podcast is, you know, I call it this is not about your body in kind of a cheeky way, because, of course, everything is about body liberation one way or the other. But um, people think that body image issues are about the body and they're not right. They're about so many more complicated and deep seated things. So I named it that as kind of a, a nod to the fact that people really want it to be about their bodies. You know, they really... Um, they really focus on that, but that's not actually going to be helpful. Most of the time we have all of the time, I think we have to deal with and look at all of these peripheral issues. And so today is going to be an example of that, uh, an example of one brutally deep way in which our relationship to the size of our bodies can be altered by a particular kind of trauma. So, all right, so let's dive in. So I read this book called Open, and uh, it was recommended by my friend, and I, I I know why, right? Like, it was actually really interesting on um, open relationships, like non-monogamy. It's this memoir of this woman who was exploring non-monogamy in her 20s for the first time with this partner who was non-monogamous, and a little bit of, like, kink and uh, BDSM explorations. So there's, like, a lot of sexual liberation in it that was really, really interesting, and I just love, you know, these kinds of stories and memoirs and hearing people go through the the process. Unfortunately, her particular story was with a guy who was sort of escalatingly abusive as uh, this kind of abuser is always escalating. Started with a lot of love bombing, um, ended with a lot of gaslighting, verbal abuse, uh, cheating, lying, just... Uh, he controlled her food. She developed an eating disorder. 
Um, she developed, like, a, started struggling with addiction during the course of this relationship as basically he, like, controlled her entire life and her entire mind. And now I should share here that, like, this happens all the time, right? Like, I talk to clients in this situation all the time. I don't usually get this triggered by something like that. I have done a lot of work on my own experiences. So I have a, a relationship in my past that was mm, very similar, I guess I would say. Um, not similar to this book necessarily, just similar to that dynamic of a young girl being uh, escalatingly controlled by someone who uses this exact textbook abuser dynamic, starting with the love bombing and going to emotional abuse where where everything is just being controlled by like guilt and uh, that kind of thing instead of like you're disgusting and I hate you it's a lot more of um, like why would you why would you do that to me like how could you want to hurt me like that and it just makes you question your entire reality like oh my god why, why would I go out with my friends when it's so clearly harming my partner like how horrible am I what a terrible person I am I, I shouldn't trust my impulses at all and they said uh you know an experience went this way and I thought it went the other way but obviously I'm wrong like that kind of stuff I mean I was 18 in this relationship and I was trapped with the person because I was studying abroad and it was the person that I lived with my host a uh, member of my host family so I've done a lot of work right I'm 35 now I rarely get this triggered. I don't know what happened other than I know that this was not the only situation in my life where I was coming up against this feeling of like just it's an old feeling for me that like I hate men and I don't usually feel that way anymore again because I've done so much work but the feeling was coming because I was like talking to people, clients, uh, family, friends like it just a lot of heavy stuff was coming up around the disappointing male partners for the women in my life who I freaking love and the ways in which those male partners get away with the absolute bare minimum of like human decency uh, and then the women are expected to just accept it because that's like the best we can get from them. Like that is the feeling and that was crowding my life at the time that I was reading this book. And I think somehow all of those things, um, and I feel like there were some other factors too, but I can't remember what they were now. There was just some other stuff swirling around for me and I was feeling really, really dark. Like, oh, these freaking men think they can just come and control us. And of course I started to see my own partner, which this is horrible. This is like, deeply my own stuff um my partner is in no way that prototype of person but all of my other relationships in one way or another I felt like I was disappointed by men um to such an extent that I decided to stop dating them altogether and then I found my current partner and so I've been working through a lot of that stuff really actively and trying to release um, any association that I have with my partner <laughs> with being a man because it's just you know I mean I'm toxic in that space when when my triggers are up when I'm flared up in this kind of way I am a toxic person to be with and it is super unfortunate for everybody so I've been working on this and uh anyway I lost this battle I guess that's all I'm trying to say here is I lost this battle I started seeing everything my partner did as like you know dark intentioned uh, I felt gaslit by him having like a boundary. Um, it was just, just all these little things. And, and I, I owned up to it one night. I was like, okay, I think 
what's going on and I need you to know this like I think that I'm mad at you because you are a man and he doesn't even identify as a man so this is like really doubly horrible of me because even as I'm going through my own triggers that like I can't I can't control or or stop that from happening necessarily but like it also misgenders him it misunderstands him and makes him feel erased which is just the worst you know like crashing together of uh two people's needs in a moment like that um but anyway I basically said hey I think I'm mad at you because I'm mad at men right now and this book is just really bringing stuff up and as are these other situations that are swirling around um and I'm just feeling like men suck so bad and expectations of them are so low and they still fail us and I just I'm so tired of this story and now I'm getting totally off track and honestly this might be a really long podcast episode because of it but like this is such a common story every woman I know it seems like has a disappointing man story uh, if not their current partner, um, if they date men and partner with men, then then in their past, you know? And there's just this feeling that, like, even the good men, even the men where we're like, oh, yeah, my partner's not like that, thank goodness, they would never stonewall me or push me away. Like, they're emotionally in touch and intelligent. They go to therapy. You know, we, we like, uphold a lot of this stuff that is just pretty much basic, I would say, basic um, human... <laughs> Uh, standard for for showing up in relationship but we uphold those men as like thank goodness I got one of the good ones and just the course of this book was like revealing to me all of the ways of like oh my god that's what she thinks she has right like in the book she's like I have this good guy I have this like emotionally intelligent and aware guy but actually he's abusive and controlling and all this stuff um and it's just super confusing, you know, like for the women in those situations, because we've been conditioned to accept so little, because we've been conditioned to um, think of ourselves as being overly demanding and needy because we want someone to like hold space for our emotions um, or meet us on an intimate level, that ultimately we end up so vulnerable to we have been conditioned to accept and fall into these abusive situations with men and unfortunately men have been conditioned to to play their role too you know to be the controlling one um to to never show their weakness or vulnerability and to always have the upper hand and you know of course like this comes from pain and trauma right like nobody is abusive for no reason but it's just a part of the conditioning of the gender roles in our, our culture that just makes me want to freaking scream. It is so, so upsetting. So anyway, all this is a 10-minute backstory for why why I want to talk about this thing today and why I was so flared up around it. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling better now. I mean, I've, I've worked through uh, some of the, like, wounds that kind of got reopened. Um, and I've worked through it with my partner as well. And... The thing that I want to talk about is the very last line of the book. So Rachel, the author, um, is talking about this guy that she wrote the entire memoir about pretty much. And uh, she talks about being free and it's after she finally left him. Spoiler alert. Sorry <laughs> if you plan on reading the book. I think it should be pretty obvious, but she does go through this whole uh, process of finding herself and leaving this abusive guy. Um, but 
you know, so she's like, is sort of doing the summing up of it and is like, oh, and I even saw him recently and he looked so small to me. He was so like, like a boy almost, um, not the, the hulking, uh, man that I remembered, not the, the big masculine man that I remembered. He just seemed small and thin and, um, yeah, younger, all these things. So that was like the last line of the book. And I finished the book, relieved for it to be over because I knew that this was like affecting my mental health. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, that is such an interesting topic. This idea that she, when she was with this abusive man who had all of the power over her life, he seemed huge. And granted, I think he was like pretty tall or taller than her um, and somewhat uh, like conventionally masculine so like fit big muscular I'm guessing I don't know um but so there is that sense throughout the whole book that he's like an imposing man that like other men you know sort of revere him as an alpha is sort of the impression that we get and it's interesting because that might still be true but then what would have changed when she sees him again after they broke up and she's free of his control for him to seem so thin small young like boyish, almost childish, you know, like what is that? That literal perception of size has shifted. And the the reason for that is because the size of his impact and power over her has shifted, which can tell us a lot and informs our body image work a lot. Because if you can see somebody who has power over you as hulking, until they no longer have power over you and then you see them as small, we know how our perception is doing this like really um, subjective moving around, you know, of reality. So that's, that's with somebody else. Now think about how that might show up in your own body image. If you are giving your body power that it should not have, like this man should not have had that much power over her. If your body has an inappropriate amount of power over you, it, it is likely to seem much larger than life, you know? It is li- likely to appear to your eyes much more hulking and imposing, much bigger, um, much louder, you know? And that is, of course, one of the big complaints that so many people have with their body image is that they, they feel big. And I want to comment on this because, like, obviously, I talk about fat phobia and the anti-fat bias all the time. Obviously, some of this is just fat phobia and the anti-fat bias. People look in the mirror, especially women and femmes who are conditioned to be delicate and small and thin. They look in the mirror and they see a body that is not meeting the thin ideal. And so they feel like disappointments or, you know, they feel unsafe or they feel whatever negative way critical of that body. So some of, some of the complaint of feeling big is obviously just that. And that is not going to change based on what I'm saying today, these are uh, coexisting factors. And there are so many more too. I mean, there is just a lot, like I said, a lot at play in somebody's body image journey, you know? So in this one, I am not talking about fat phobia and I'm not talking about the anti-fat bias, although that is often still present. I am talking about the way in which a body can appear bigger than it really is because of the power that it has been assigned. Just like that man can appear bigger than he was to her when he had uh, a certain amount, a, a huge amount of inappropriate power over her life. And in order to talk about this, I, I wanted to share my own story, which is so 
at 18, I was living in Chile with this family. I was doing six months of um, studying abroad. And the guy that I lived with was a couple years older than me. So I turned 18 there. And I think he turned 21 around the same time. So three years older than me. And I didn't speak Spanish, unfortunately, pretty much at all. Well, I did speak some Spanish, but um, Chilean Spanish is just so, so different. And I was pretty much 0% able to communicate with anybody um, in the beginning. And and it didn't really get a whole lot better over the six months. Uh, so, I mean, it did get better. But for most of the time there, we would, I was not able to communicate with the rest of my family because uh, they all just talked too fast and I never really caught on. And he was the only one who was like slow enough to talk to me. Like he really made sure <laughs> that uh, I was able to be understood and to understand him. And he would like translate for the rest of the family sometimes. And he was just so romantic and sweet. And in the first like month or so, it was that very big love bombing feeling of like, holy shit, like this guy likes me so much and he thinks I'm so special and he just wants to protect me and he's like, you know, very much a caretaker. Like he's just going way out of his way to um, make sure that I feel safe and good and all this stuff. And, you know, I ignored a million red flags because I was in this situation, you know, like literally isolated, didn't know a single other person there. Um, the program that I went with was, uh, they really dropped the ball. So I didn't have any, um, I didn't even go to school. Uh, I was supposed to go to school. I started going to school, but then he didn't like me going to school. So I stopped and there were no consequences. I also happened to call, um, my program and I said, I want to move, I want to move families at a certain point. Um, maybe two or three months in, I think probably three months in, I was like, this is getting really bad. I want to leave. And, um, they, instead of, (sighs) they said that they would like handle it discreetly. And instead of that, they just confronted my family with everything I had said, putting me in a really, really dangerous position because then he knew that I had called, um, to try to leave. And it, it pretty much just got worse from there. And everything was this, at that point, everything was gaslighting. Everything was emotional manipulation. Like I said, he kept me really isolated. He didn't like when I, uh, met anybody or tried to like go anywhere with anyone. Um, he, I would like sometimes like try to sneak out and he would just cry and be like, why are you doing this to me? I just want you to be safe. And am I not enough for you? And all this like really heavy, emotional, abusive, um, stuff, like just constantly trying to make me feel bad for, um, hurting him in order to get me to acquiesce and say, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't go out with people. I shouldn't go to school. I shouldn't try to talk to anyone. You're right. I was flirting with that guy. That was inappropriate. Um, you know, of course you, of course you would cry about that. Like, uh, because it was just the easiest way to get out of those horrible, like emotional slogs with him was just to be like, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have done those things. You're totally right. I won't do them again. And to either change my behavior or to promise to change my behavior and know that I wasn't going to, but just to, to end, to end those moments, these horrible, like frustrating, uh, confusing moments. So there was a lot of that. Um, we were at that point, like a couple, he pushed a lot, uh, for, you know, sex and intimacy and things that was all on him. I was never really attracted to him, but I think, you know, he kind of made me feel like I owed it to him because, he was taking such good care of me and, you know, 
like basically he would withdraw all of that care and I would be completely alone. Like he would remind me that, you know, if I didn't want to be with him, then he wouldn't talk to me. Like I would just be alone in a house where nobody could talk to me and I couldn't talk to anyone where I hadn't been able to make friends or go to school. Like abuse, right? That's what this is. And I didn't name it at that time. So um, all of this is retrospective uh, stuff that I processed way later. But I'm sharing all of this with you because he was 21, right? So he was a kid. Um, when I left, he would call me in the U.S. When I, when I finally got out, you know, my program was up and I was able to leave. He was all like, I'm going to come visit you and all this stuff. And in order to just get out safely without uh, upsetting him, I would say things like, yeah, great. Totally. We'll do that. Awesome. Knowing all the time that I was like, absolutely never, ever speaking to you ever again. Um, I was just basically counting down the days, like acquiescing to anything he wanted just to make it go smoothly until I could leave. And so I got home and he would call me a lot and he would try and like, you know, (laughs) he would just try to, I guess, control me there, you know, make plans and tell me how much he missed me and loved me and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. And then I just stopped taking the calls because I realized this fucking sucks. So, uh, yeah, I don't even think I, I might've just taken one or two calls or something. And then, um, I I never said to him, like, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you again. I just was like, busy. Um, but anyway, the point is that this was, you know, Facebook was like just rising, but this was pre, uh, social media era, right? Like we didn't, we weren't all connected on social media. Um, I think that we were Facebook friends though. Uh, or maybe we weren't actually, I think now that I think about it, I didn't add him for many years. In fact, I don't think I've ever added him, but his family members added me. And by the end of the time there, I had made some connections with his family members. So, I felt guilty not adding them. Um, So he could find me is what I'm saying, even though I didn't actually add him. And I think he like sent me all these messages like, why won't you add me? What did I do wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I just ignored it because I was like, oh my God, I don't know what else to do. Like, I just want to be free of this person. Um, But many, many years later when his, uh, I think it was like one of his siblings added me or something like that. And I, I clicked over out of curiosity onto his profile. um, I was shocked shocked by the pictures that I'd seen, by the pictures that I saw. Because the person that I remembered living with was this huge, hulking human. Really, like, big. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I I wouldn't say he was fat, uh, nor was he, like, really muscular. But in my memory, when when I remember these moments, as I'm describing this to you, I am remembering a huge person. And because I never looked at a picture of him for many, many years, that that image is what got permanently solidified in my memory and my brain. That is what he looked like. And when I looked at those Facebook pictures, after not having seen his face or body in, I don't know, six or seven years at that point, I was stunned because he was so small. He was so Like I I even scrolled back. I was like, no way. He must have like lost a ton of weight or something. Like there's no way that this is the same. I didn't even recognize him. I was like, there's no way this is the same person. Absolutely not. So I scrolled back through to find the oldest photos of him I could because I was like, he was obviously huge before. (laughs) Like there's no freaking way this is what this guy looked like. And uh, I will say that, you know, he had a little bit more baby fat maybe on him at 21. So he had like a rounder face, you know, uh, 
maybe a bit of a bit of a rounder body, but like, no, he was not big. He was just a kid, like a slightly round faced kid. And that was one of those moments where I was like, holy cow, like reality altering to realize how much trauma I must have gone through for my brain to literally imagine him like twice the size that he actually was because of the control and power he had over me, because of the psychic and emotional pain that I was in that entire time, because of how trapped I felt by everything, you know? It was so, so hard. I closed myself down into a little box inside myself that he couldn't get to and just counted the days until I could leave. It was, it was a nightmare. And so I ascribed power to the body of the person who kept me in that position. And therefore, he was huge in my head, in my memory. So this wild, wild experience of seeing this kind of skinny, small person that he is, um, it was really, really startling. And when I read the end of this book open, I had that same thought, like, holy shit, this is the thing I felt. This is exactly what I experienced. And she was with this guy for many years. So it, it, I think it, it has different, you know, totally different stories. But that same phenomenon was absolutely what I experienced. And so I was so struck by this. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to talk about this because just think, just think of essentially what would we call this? Dysmorphia, right? But like for somebody else, like I have a dysmorphic view of that guy from Chile. And that is because of my relationship with him, how I felt about him, how I felt around him, the power dynamic that we were engaged in, and the amount of pain that he caused me, and fear, the, the amount that I was afraid of him. He was gigantic. Now just think, what is your relationship with yourself? And how might that be informing the way in which your body takes on a certain size in your mind? And I think this can be your relationship with yourself internally, like, Obviously, uh, my relationship with this guy was about him as a person and his behaviors, not about his actual body size, but it got projected onto his body size. So it could totally be that, you know, I mean, if you think of yourself as just like a horrible person, if you have really, really uh, deep entrenched shame or low self-worth or self-loathing, like those are things that can very easily translate into a feeling of bigness, of an overextension of the, the perception of your own size because there is something so dark, so painful, and or so powerful about those feelings. And if you feel trapped by who you are, you know, if you feel like you can't, um, can't get your needs met in the world, like there's so many reasons that this could get en ended up projecting onto your body size in such a way that even if you can't quite name it, you know, again, because this is outside of actual fat phobia, a lot of people I think will look in the mirror and be like, I just feel big, but I couldn't exactly tell you why. You know, sometimes they can tell me exactly why, but a lot of my clients will also just sometimes have these moments where they're like, just feel big, that's it. And a lot of times that's when they feel either the most negative about themselves the most um, like unmet needs or fear or uh, trauma stuff coming up so that there is just this projection into the feeling of there is a big, big thing at play here. And the brain's like, 
oh, it seems important. Why don't I, <laughs> why don't I alter your perception of your body size to demonstrate, you know, to sort of make your outsides look to you like they match your internal experience, your feeling like-minded about that guy. And other times I think it can actually be about the body itself. Meaning if you, um, if your body has been given an inappropriate amount of power, then it will seem really big. And why might it be given an inappropriate amount of power, you ask? Well, fat phobia is one reason. Uh, unrealistic beauty ideals is another. The objectification of women and femmes and, frankly, anybody. The fetishization of marginalized bodies. The, you know, like the list just goes on and on. There are so many reasons that we might end up giving our bodies an inappropriate amount of power over us or coming to think of it as having a huge amount of power over us and over our lives and over our ability to get our needs met. And some of that is real and true because we live in a screwed up society in which some bodies are treated as better, more worthy than others, and some bodies face marginalization because of something about the way they look on a daily basis. So some of that is genuinely a reflection of reality, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, you know, the idea that women owe it to men to look a certain way. Like that certainly has, uh, we, we know where we can find that concept in reality, but we also know that that's not actually true. Like it can be dismantled. It is not actually true. Just like everything, you know, all of these concepts that um, body liberation fights against, like sexism and racism and, um, oh my God, cisgender normativity and all of these things, like we can dismantle them because they are not actually based in reality. But that doesn't change the fact that they will alter a person's lived experience. So in that way, it's easy to come to the conclusion that your body has a really big amount of power over the way your life is going to go. You know, is it going to, are you going to get your needs met? Are people going to be nice to you or are they going to be abusive and horrible? Are you going to be discriminated against or are you going to be like elevated for no reason? Um, these are things that we have learned to ascribe to our bodies. And so our bodies then take on this huge and inappropriate amount of power in our minds. And what happens next is a lot of times that just gets our brain just does the like matching things up. You know, it's like, oh, well, if that's how you feel, let me make it look really big. Let me show you what you feel. Let me demonstrate to your eyes your life experience. The way that I felt about that guy, the way that Rachel in the book felt about her ex-abuser, you know, there is a feeling of just massiveness. And yeah, I just think this is a really important thing to totally pull apart from worrying about being fat or, you know, wanting to fit a certain size for beauty ideals or, you know, gender expectations or any of those things. Because this is a totally different reason why a person might feel huge or might think of themselves as looking huge, might have dysmorphia um, when they look in the mirror, having a completely unrealistic view and sense of, of the space that they take up in the world, this can be why, you know, and that's really what I wanted to talk about. I feel like it's super dark, but also really relatable because I know so many people who have been in a similar situation and never even realized it, you know, um, 
because we don't talk about the way that our brains do this projection uh, on other people. We talk about dysmorphia. We're like, yeah, we project it on ourselves, but we rarely talk about the way that this is like a universal piece of our visual experience, that nothing we see is ever objective. It is always informed by how we feel. Um, you know, everyone we look at, the visuals that our brain shows us of a person's face is informed by how we feel toward them and about them and how we feel around them, you know, and with them. Do we feel safe or unsafe? Because that's going to change how they look to us. Do we feel good and confident or do we feel criticized and um, not good enough? Because that's going to change how that person's face and body look to us. And this is appropriate. Like, this is just the way the brain works. This isn't some flaw. It's just that we... I think get the idea that we should see everyone <laughs> objectively or that we do see everyone objectively except for ourselves and that's just not true. You know, I talk about this all the time but the idea that like every single person thinks their baby and their, you know, <laughs> dog or cat or whatever is like the cutest ever and it's because they love that baby or dog or cat, right? And that love informs how their brain shows them the face of that baby dog or cat. And then you see somebody else's baby dog or cat who they think is the cutest ever. And you're like, yeah, they're okay. You know, sure. <laughs> Not as cute as mine. And this is like dysmorphia too. You know, if you really think about it, there's no objective view of any of this. Not when we look at other people and not when we look at ourselves. So this expectation that I think a lot of people have around body neutrality is like, oh, I just want to be able to see myself neutrally. Uh, which is to say, I, I think that what they mean is I want to see myself objectively and unfortunately, although certainly there, you know, obviously this is my whole brand, right? Like there's a lot you can do to, to peel away these layers of uh, subjective um, dysmorphia making layers that cause you suffering. But ultimately, you're never going to see yourself totally objectively. It's not a thing. You can't see anyone that way, including yourself, because how you feel about yourself is always going to inform what you see. How you feel about someone else is always going to inform what you see. That said... Um, I do think that there's something about this after moment that is also a powerful uh, fact in the body neutrality healing journey, which is like they can come back to right size. You know, your view of someone can come back to right appropriate size where you actually see them for what they really are after you have done the work of stripping them of their power. So Rachel in the book could never see him as small or boyish, while they were together because she was not free of the power. She could not strip him of his power while they were together. It could only be after, after she had set herself free from him and from his abuse and an amount of time had gone by where she had done a lot of healing work so that she could see him and, and have that moment. And same with me. There's no way I could have had that moment looking at that guy's pictures even like within a year of coming home. You know, I needed that time to heal and really free myself and process what had happened and find a way to reclaim myself, my power, and, um, and name, name what happened for what it was. Because at the time, I was like, oh, it was just my boyfriend. I didn't like him very much, <laughs> uh, you know? And so to be like, oh, hell yeah, that guy sucked, and I didn't want to do any of that stuff, and I think he kind of ruined my life and made me question everything, like, I am on a healing journey now to reclaim my power. Like, that's what I had to do. And on the other side of that, I was able to see him in appropriate right size too. 
I was able to see how small and skinny and unintimidating he is really in the world. But the only way I could do that, the only way Rachel could do that was by stripping the person of the inappropriate amount of power that we had assigned them. And the same is true. It's a huge piece of body neutrality. Stripping your body of the inappropriate amount of power that you have assigned it is a huge part of the body neutrality journey for like everyone, honestly, like it, it will often look very different than the stories that I'm telling right now, but it is, there is always a reason that your body has taken on too much power and significance if you are struggling with body image issues. So learning how to strip that back, reclaim your power, take that power back and say like, I, I am the power in this dynamic. Like you don't control me body. You don't get to have power over me body. I have the power. And it is genuine and deep and it is my birthright and I am powerful. And you are just a body. You know, once you get to that place, you can see yourself with what I'm calling like the appropriate right size vision where you can look in the mirror and you can see all of your curves. Maybe you can acknowledge that you don't like the way you look, but it doesn't have power. And when it doesn't have power, you see it differently. You just say like, oh, I've gained weight or whatever, you know, like it becomes a much more neutral fact. Like, huh, interesting. Um, I've, you know, I, I didn't see these roles here before, but you don't get that sense that sort of like, God, I don't know how to describe it, but almost like a, like a zooming or a falling sense of bigness. Like you look in the mirror when you're really dysmorphic in this space of your body just having so much power and it's almost like you're falling and everything is so distorted and it's just like big and scary and and you know relationship to size gets a little zoomy and wobbly for a moment and you're like I don't even know how I look but I just feel huge what the hell's going on like that experience goes away and you just see yourself and you just look like you and there's this moment I think a lot of my clients have reported something similar that um this woman who wrote the book and I are saying which is like they'll look in the mirror and be like huh I'm like not huge And their body size hasn't changed any. And even if they're still dealing with not liking what they see, there is a feeling of like right-sizedness. Like, oh, like this is just me. And I'm not huge. There is a shift and and there's a grounding in their experience of their own body size that has nothing to do with their weight, has nothing to do even with their like satisfaction with their appearance and has everything to do with having stripped their body of the inappropriate amount of power that it had over them. Whew. So that's pretty heavy. Um, oh, welcome back to my podcast, everyone. I had a lot to say today. Um, I think I'm just going to leave it there. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Jesse Neeland if you want to leave me a DM. Um, I'm happy to talk about any topics that uh, really you're interested in, in the realm of body liberation, body neutrality, gender, sexuality, so many things. Um, You can go ahead and leave any questions or topics that you want me to talk about in the link that I'm going to include in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that this was not as dark or heavy for you uh, as the process was for me of getting here. And also, I hope that this was helpful and enlightening because it is such a powerful concept uh, that has a really 
really great potential to actually improve people's body image and people's lives. So I hope it was helpful. That's it. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you next week.